Hello, I'm Doug, and welcome to the Crew of Japan podcast, a weekly podcast that takes you on audio journeys through Japanese culture. Today, we're talking about the JET program and the expectations that come along with getting an interview and hopefully an offer. We'll be discussing the emotional roller coaster that comes with JET acceptance and placement, as well as non JET means of relocation to Japan. We are also joined by Megan Deville. Former Aomori Prefectural Jet and departing president of the Jet Alumni Association Mid South Chapter to discuss her experiences leading up to Jet departure on Jet and life after Jet. Let's dive on in. So we're back, and today we have Jennifer and Nigel. What's up, guys? Hey, Doug. How's it going? Hanging in there. It's uh, it's like 90 degrees over here. Yeah, it's uh, nice and balmy, 90-something outside. Staying inside, of course. See, I don't I don't feel it that hot, but yet again, we discussed this in the little travel seasons episode that we have. I can take the heat. Okay, <laughs> okay fair enough. I could deal, but I mean, I, I, I don't like being uncomfortable, so I'm like, eh. If I could be inside in an AC, I'd be like, I'd rather that than... Or, or maybe not necessarily inside, but like in the shade where it's kind of like a little breezy and not in the direct sunlight because I'll, I'll melt. <laughs> anyway, we are not here to talk about the, uh, <laughs> the, weather, the, weather. the weather today, <laughs> although that's very Japanese of us to talk about the weather first before jumping into a real topic. Um, <laughs> um, but no, we're actually talking about today um, the jet application and interview and acceptance process. Um, recently, uh, within the last couple months, uh, a lot of people uh, this year have received their notifications of being accepted onto JET. Um, I want to say probably a few weeks ago, actually, maybe late April, early May. I can't remember exactly when those letters went out. But if I'm remembering back to my day, um, that's I think it was like end of April when I got my notification. Um, but yeah, it's a really exciting time, really you know, once you get over that excitement of getting the acceptance letter, it's then the anxiety of like, where am I going starts to kick in. Because when I don't know if you guys are aware, um, when like you're accepted on jet, they just say, hey, you're accepted. Do you accept a decline? Like, are you you're shortlisted? You're, you're going to Japan. Congratulations. Do you accept a decline? I, I, if you hear that, what are you saying? Yes or no? Well, the answer would have to be yes, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I'd, say yes. Would you say yes without knowing where the hell you're going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most people do. Yeah, because only because I know the process. I know the jet process, even though I've never been a jet. And you know, that's just one of the things that you really need to weigh out the pros and cons. With yeah. jet, you do not have like your way of oh, I want to be here. So just take that mindset away because it's not happening you're going where they need you yeah and you can i mean you can put down preferences on your application when um when applying but just because you put down three places doesn't mean you're going to get them now granted if you ask for a like super rural area specifically that no one probably ever asked for you probably will get that yeah they might <laughs> um, get you, you know I, I actually put fukushima on my um on my jet application oh, uh, because it's close proximity to Tokyo, but not like, like right on top of it. Yeah. You know, it's like three prefectures removed. 
Um, so I, I put that on there. I didn't actually think I was going to get it, but I ended up getting it. And ended up being, because I think I put Aizu Wakamatsu as like the area where I thought would be really cool. I ended up getting the opposite side, the you know the Pacific Coast side of uh, Fukushima Prefecture, which ended up being great because it was just a beeline straight to Tokyo on the weekend. So, uh, <laughs> had you visited Fukushima Prefecture before you? Made oh that no, decision? I just heard I just heard a lot of cool stuff about it. Like um, you know, and specifically Aizu. That's why I put that down. Um, it's it's a very historical town in terms of like uh, they have a castle there. They have a lot of like rich um a rich like feudal history um and some really cool touristy stuff there so I, I just things i'd write up on i'm like oh that's kind of a neat place but that's some good advice for people who are super duper like worried about where they're going to be placed if they know of areas that aren't populated by tourists or like by foreigners if they would put that down i mean that's a it's a good chance it's better than saying oh i want to be in like tokyo kyoto or osaka yeah. like, if you put you're osaka, not getting those tokyo, kyoto you're not getting it I, yeah no. know, I, I had a friend of mine who actually got placed in tokyo lucky he got, but no 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 oh he got no? placed on oshima which is like the oh Auckland that's an island of tokyo bay so he oh. lived in an island that is technically tokyo but not actually like mainland tokyo oh no <laughs> so he had I mean, he had a pretty sick setup, though. Like, he only had to teach, like, three days a week. And so he had a five-day weekend every week. I mean, it was great for him. Like, oh he would just God. go and hang out. I don't think I would like that, no. <laughs> well, he had a ferry um, to and from. If he wanted to go to the mainland, he had to take a ferry. And there was only a few, a couple ferries a day. It was kind of – he said it was, like, inconvenient, but he enjoyed it. He loved it. So, well, good for him. Um, don't, so if you ask for Tokyo, you might get Oshima. So. <laughs> uh, um, but nine times out of ten, you're not – or more, probably, like, 99 out of 100, you're not going to get, like – a big city if you ask for it yeah. um because one one there's really not that many openings in those cities to begin with they, a lot of times those towns have their own either they have their own setup like or there'll be private school like you know private alts that are assigned to schools and stuff so um you know that's beside the point anyway long story short we're getting back to the question would you accept yes or no whether or not you knew where you were going and it sounds like everyone here would say yes and yeah. i i did you know, I didn't know. And then I got the notification after. Still didn't know where the heck Iwaki City and Fukushima Prefecture was. Um, but I was like, okay, cool. And got ended up, you know, coming out with a really good situation. I enjoyed where I was at. Um, but uh, it is it is one of those things when you have to you have to let them know, yes, I accept, without having any kind of knowledge of where you're gonna be. And uh there is some anxiety that comes with that, because then you could as we're going to hear with Megan, find out that your place is not exactly the ideal location you were hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's, it comes with its pluses and minuses and you have to just be aware of that when you're applying um, that you may not get something that you would like, or maybe, you know what, you might be the only foreigner in a 50 mile radius um, and have to drive two hours to meet somebody, you know, it's possible. You never know what that situation is going to be like. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like, you know, for me, I, I didn't have the opportunity to do jet, but I feel like that's par for the course, you know, and you, when signing up for it, part of it is, at least for me, I always thought it was, you know, seeking that adventure, you know, of going, going anywhere. I would have taken yeah. any, any location in Japan. So I would have, I would have easily said yes to that, um, despite not knowing where to go. Um, and I know, so some people are just getting their letters, but there's also 
the group of people who were accepted into the JET program last year in 2020 that were prevented right. from going due to obvious reasons of what happened in 2020. Uh, but they're they're probably getting ready to go soon, I, I understand. Uh, some potentially in the summer and definitely some in the fall. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some um, rumblings of, uh, of, of, of a person that we know, actually. I'm not going to name drop anybody, but uh, um, they were a 2020 accepted jet and um, got, you know, it sounds like that they're going to be able to go in, in September you know, barring any unforeseen circumstances, but you know, things looking good for them. So it's a really, in, I don't want to say interesting, but a very unique time uh, because you do have those 2020 jets who applied and were accepted last year and they were kind of sitting in limbo and, and some may have, you know, accepted a jet and wanted to go on a jet program. And then now it's, it sucks because it may, that situation may, their, their situation may have changed. They may have started their career um, in something and may not be able to go anymore. And it's just, it's unfortunate that, that, you know, that those kind of things happen, but uh, it is interesting to see how it's going to plan out, uh, pay uh, uh, pan out um, for um, those 2020 jets. And then seeing, I don't know how they're going to prioritize, um, you know, those, the placements, I'm sure they're going to try to like, you know, who accepts the 2020 jets coming back, you know, let, let them give them first right of refusal or whatever, um, you know, saying, Hey, are you still interested? And then after that, maybe reaching out to the shortlisted 2021 jets. Uh, I don't know that process off the top of my head, but, uh, it's exciting times for those who are jet participants, uh, prospective jet participants, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty behind where you're going to be placed. And then also just, lead, uh, you know, the lead up to going to Japan for the potentially for the first time. A lot of people on Jet, they've never been. Uh, don't know, you know, outside of what you've maybe seen on the Internet or YouTube, um, read up in books. You know, maybe they've traveled there as a, a tourist, but working in Japan is by far way different than going as a or eat, just living not even just working, but living as a student, as an employee, um, is way different than just going for a one-week trip to Tokyo, Osaka. Um, and both of you studied abroad. Like, what was that anxiety that you felt um, leading up to your, you know, once you decided that I'm going, and then the months leading up to your departure? What was that like for you? Uh, I, you know, of course, it. there was that element of uncertainty, in the in the fold and in the mix um it was something i i personally had been looking forward to for such a long time and it was like it's finally here uh so part of you you know feels like i i've been ready for this for such a long time bring it on other part is you know okay but what about the the fine details like what if i'm in a situation where uh i'm in a convenie and i i can't figure out, you know, the, the exact amount of change because it's more of a cash-based economy than a, uh, a card-based economy, you know, and like those types of things you worry about and they, they kind of keep you up at night, but not really. Um, but I actually was fortunate enough because prior to going um, the university I went to, they had a really good pre-departure orientation and actually Jennifer was there. I did. Yeah, you're right. I <laughs> did go visit your year's yeah. pre-departure orientation. Yeah, so Jen, Jen actually... It helped clear up a lot of like questions and um, concerns that I had. So uh, 
probably didn't even realize that, but yeah, yeah, you know. I didn't know. Thank you for letting me know. I, uh, that makes me feel very good. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> it was, it was um, the, I don't remember exactly what questions I might've asked or what was brought That's out, great. but I just remember, you know, having, having you there to actually talk to and just, you know, share things about, I don't know, riding a, a train, you know, or getting an Ecoca yeah. card or something like that. You know, it was, that was, that was huge. Yeah. Um, that you brought up trains and it, like, that's just like, I think that was a big anxiety for me too. Um, for when I studied abroad, cause I was going to Tokyo for, for my study abroad year. And, you know, we we're in New Orleans that doesn't really have public transport, you know, reliable, good public transportation. <laughs> um, and, you know, going from a, a, a place where I was very self-reliant, had my own car, um, able to drive myself and transport, you know, transport myself around town easily to relying on a system that's there and I need to figure it out in a foreign language. That was a, a really big sense of anxiety for me um, heading over there. And we didn't really have an orientation now that I think about it, because my trip was right before, yeah, Katrina happened. And I left like three weeks after. So all the orientation I probably would have had oh, wow. <laughs> didn't happen. What about you, Jen? Yeah, no. Uh, so as you could probably tell, Nigel and I did the same study abroad program. Um, but I went the second year that the program went. Um, and even the second year was very different from the first year because the living situation was different. So many things were different. So it was kind of like a new program from the first year it ran to the second year and um yeah pre-departure orientation was really really beneficial um just someone to kind of just give you the rules the lay of the land pretty much and then you know when you get there for study abroad at least for our program not all programs are the same um but for ours you know we settled in someone was there to help us settle in Someone was there to help us guide us through like the city, you know, tell us about the area that we're going to be living in. Tell us about the schools. I mean, we were kind of hand in hand with someone. Someone was pretty much holding our hand for that first day. Um, and then after that, we were kind of cut loose and you were your own person. You were responsible for yourself. Um, and I think my only anxiety that I had prior to going abroad was you know the fact that it technically was my first time living on my own even though we were in a dorm even though you know I had classmates just around the corner or next door you know I wasn't living in my parents house and that's you know kind of stressful you know it can be yeah. Um, now, obviously, it wasn't too stressful for me because I was really, really excited to go to Japan. So I didn't care, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for some people, it can be stressful. Some people really are close to their family. And to leave your family and your friends, I can imagine that it's very anxiety driven. Um, and it can be. So that's something that you really something to think about when you do do jet is, you know, you're leaving your home for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you don't know when you're coming back. Yeah. How long was your, um, your, your study abroad? Was it just a couple months or one month or? Summer? It was a little over a month. It was five weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on each person too. Cause some people, yeah, some people stayed um, longer. Right. Okay. Get there a little bit earlier or stay a little so, bit. Yeah. Did your program, did you all travel together and then meet 
or like kind of like arrange travel around the same time for the most part and then or was it kind of everyone on their own i for me at least the year i went you had the option of trying to you know collectively group up and you know travel together um i didn't take that option uh, i traveled by myself and then met up with everyone when i got there uh and that that in itself was a um that was a source of, you know, a little bit of anxiety and uncertainty. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. You know, navigating um, from throughout the U.S., it was fine getting through the airports, but then touching down in Japan and not having anyone there to greet you and then having to meet at spot X on the map, it, yeah. that, that was a little, you know, rough, but, but it was, it was actually really, um, it, it wasn't too bad, but yeah, people, you do have that op- opportunity to, to travel as a group. Yeah. That's what I did. I took that up. Well, not that I took it. My parents made me take it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm I'm happy about it because I got to meet the people who were going on the program ahead of time. So I was like almost like making friends before it even started, yeah. which was great. So what that's that's good. I, I know like for the study abroad that I did, I again, due to Katrina, like I, everyone was kind of on their own. It was me and another guy were the only two people from Loyola that were going. And uh, and. It was, you know, I went, I had a flight out of Houston and man, I, I'll never forget that flight. Just take it off. I'm like, holy crap, I'm on my own. <laughs> like, you know, and then I didn't know, like there was one guy that met me at the airport. He was a student. Like they had like a buddy system that they set up for, for like the new incoming students. So, um, they had other groups that were doing like kind of like a group travel, but yeah, for, for me and, uh, the other guy. It was just you're you're paired with one person. They'll meet you at the airport and get you to your dorm, and that's it. You're on your own. Have fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I imagine one thing that might be a little shocking for people is the length of the flight. I know that's kind of a minor thing, but that was something for me. That was the longest flight I had been on to that point. Yeah. Um, I left out of California, and the flight was I'd say maybe fourteen, fifteen hours. Um, Maybe I can't quite remember, but it was it was definitely somewhere max sixteen seventeen, but yeah. it was somewhere between fourteen and seventeen. I would say. W- were you flying into? Did you have any layovers, or was it direct to Kansai International? Yeah, it was. It was direct to Kansai. Yeah, best flight ever, too. By the way, Japan <laughs> Airlines. Oh my god! I know we're not. This is not an endorsement, but I, <laughs> I loved the flight. It was like the best flight I've ever taken. But that just yeah. proves that. You know, not only would you, would you feel anxiety when you're in Japan and trying to live your life over there, but the anxiety starts at home. Yeah. It starts here. It starts now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and circling back to Jet, um, you know, they do have those pre-departure orientations that the consulate will put on. Sometimes the local Jet alumni community in your area may put those on as well. Again, we'll talk about that during the interview that's coming up. Um but, you know, they'll have some things to help ease some of that anxiety, to answer questions, um, to help put you at ease. And you will be leaving with a group. You um, you will be leaving with a group out of uh, out of your area. So um, and then there's an orientation in Tokyo. So you, you have opportunities to um, do a little bit of group travel uh, to an extent. But uh, anyway, um, let's let's move on to our interview, because I know that, that we have a very fun, exciting and, and very informative uh, interview with Megan DeVille. Uh, the former Jetta Mid South president, or transitioning out of her position, she would she served as uh, president for uh, Jetta Mid South, with his, which is the Jet Alumni Chapter for um, the Mid South region, and 
she uh, she joined us to talk about her experiences through the JET application process post applying, so interview and, and acceptance and the anxiety leading up to the trip, and then her JET experience as well, as well as life after JET. Um, so I hope you guys all enjoy the interview that Jen and I had. Unfortunately, Nigel couldn't be there for it, but uh, yeah, I was unfortunately too busy that day. Being here today, so it's all good. <laughs> Great interview, though I've heard it. Yeah, so hopefully everybody will enjoy and uh, have fun. All right, everybody, we have with us today, Jen. What's up? And also our special guest for the day, Megan DeVille. Hi. Uh, Megan was a, uh, a JET participant from 2009-2010 in Aomori Prefecture uh, as an ALT. And uh, most recently, or is now considered the departing departing president uh, for JETA Mid-South, which is the JET Alumni Association uh, chapter for um, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Alabama too, or no? Don't adopt Alabama. Just Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I should know this. I was the president too for a little while. You were the president um, for a while. Oh, slap my hand. I know. <laughs> well, again, thank you for joining us today for uh, for this interview. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So a little tiny bit about me. I am the departing president for Jet AA Mid-South. Um, I've been president for, I don't know, somewhere around eight years or so. Something <laughs> um, like that, right? <laughs> something like that. Um, very, very excited to be passing that on to new hands. But uh, that is that is my second job, my day job. I work in human resources, specifically in the technology side. And I've been in HR for also about, about 10 years or so since coming back from Japan. You know, well, one thing we usually ask our guests when they come on the podcast, obviously you live in New Orleans, you've been here for a while for a long time. Um, so you clearly have a connection to New Orleans. Um, when you hear someone say New Orleans, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Oh, gosh, I should probably it's hard, right? I should probably <laughs> edit it to say the second thing that pops into my mind, because the first one is pure <laughs> frustration. <laughs> New Orleans is uh, both a delight and a terror to live in. It's got so much personality and everyone just marches to the beat of their own drum. And every day, like you go out into the streets and you see people wearing costumes and just being themselves, which is so wonderful. And then you try to drive there and your car just like <laughs> falls into a giant pothole or it ends up underwater because of the flash flooding. Sounds about right. <laughs> so... It's, uh, I guess that also could be considered personality. <laughs> I do love it here, though. My family is originally from New Orleans. I spent about 13 years in St. Louis, and, and yet I came back. So I think that says something about New Orleans and how uh, even if you can't escape, you don't want to. Yep. Yeah, it kind of pulls you back in. You try to get away, and there's something that just grabs a hold of you and keeps you here, right? You, you move to the other side of the planet, <laughs> yet you still come back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, you kind of introduced yourself at a high level already. Um, but, um, maybe take a second to, in, in, you know, highlight your Japan journey. Like what led to your interest in Japan? Uh, so I started my Japan journey. I was probably around eight years old or so when my older brother started watching anime, uh, which at the time <laughs> going to date myself here, but at the time, uh, the sci-fi channel was playing, um, they were the only people that had anime. It was, I forget what it was called. Oh, sci-fi channel. Yeah, sci-fi. Not even Toonami. <laughs> not even, to, no, this was way pre-Toonami. Um, 
I forget what they called it, but they had they played movies like um, Project Aiko, Project Biko, um, Akira. I actually had like a brief anime hiatus because I was eight years old when I saw Akira and it was terrifying. Yeah. So I took took a little break. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then my brother started importing um, fan subs from Japan. So like we were watching anime before Toonami came out and then Toonami hit and, you know, the rest is history from there. Um, but, you know, not to say, like, I actually honestly have not really watched anime since college, so I stopped watching in mid-college, but by that time, I was already super in love with the language and the culture and, uh, you know, these stories, because um, you, you get a lot of the history, Rurouni Kenshin, you learn a little bit about the samurai era and stuff, so... I started studying about Japan, planning to take Japanese, planning to go to Japan, planning to take culture classes and such One as I went up through school. And um, I did know very early, I was very fortunate to hear about the JET program in mid school, middle school. So uh, me being me and the very fastidious, pedantic person that I am, I started planning my resume for JET in middle school. Wow. So... I- <laughs> yeah that is very prepared (laughs) which is why i'm such a proponent uh you know when we uh recruit for jet program we tend to recruit uh, college seniors which is far too late um especially if you live somewhere where it's harder to get that japan experience and prep your resume for it so i'm a huge proponent of letting people know early so that they can start planning their lives around it early (laughs) i agree i did a um when i went to study abroad uh, in Tokyo, uh, for the same study, bro- we did the same study abroad pro- program too. Um, but, uh, when I did that, I came back, I had applied for and was, and received a scholarship called Freeman Asia, which I don't think is around anymore. I had that but, one too. Yeah. Um, it was a really well-known, uh, scholarship at the time. And, uh, part of the, part of the agreement to do that is that you have to come back from your study abroad experience and then share that experience with, in your community, whether it was at a high school or college or wherever, um, share that experience. So I think that's that was I took an opportunity to go back to my old high school and talk to some some juniors and, and sophomores um, just about the jet program in Japan and not jet. I'm sorry, study abroad, because I think that's something I wasn't even really thinking about in high school, studying abroad. Um, it didn't really click no in my mind. No one ever brought it right. up. It's I New think Orleans, that might be, though. Yeah, I was like, gonna say it's kind of like a New Orleans thing. I feel like you kind of you're here. This is where you are. <laughs> New Orleans you know? is, and here here we go back to my complicated feelings about <laughs> New Orleans. I have literally been told before, sitting on the Metairie Kenner line, I don't want to go to Kenner. It's too far away. I'm like, it's less than a hundred feet. <laughs> like, what? What is your deal? Like, New Orleanians are are not true you know born and bred new orleanians are not known for moving more than a mile from the house that they grew up in so i'd imagine that's a bit cultural uh to not think about study abroad perhaps. yeah as, as a kennebra yeah. i can definitely tell you that i i know that when i say hey yeah i live in kenner like oh god you're in kenner <laughs> like it's literally like a 10 minute drive on the interstate <laughs> The entirety of New Orleans is 10 (laughs) miles from one side to the other. Now, I have to say, no matter how far away you are from your destination, it's going to take you at least uh, 30 minutes to get there, whether it's one mile or 10. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you mentioned that, Doug. Uh, You you and I both went to Sophia University to study abroad, not at the same time. Um, 
think you were there the year before me. Um, and then I also got Freeman Asia. And I, I love the reminder that we had to do that service project when we came back, because that is such a good introduction to JET and part of the JET mission, which is not only going over there to teach English, you're going over there to teach your culture, um, to interact with people, whether it's on a formal level, like giving a presentation or participating in a festival. Um, but also on an informal level of just answering questions and sharing clothes or, you know, toys or whatever um, heirlooms that you brought with you. Yeah. And then also coming back to the United States and giving back to your community in the United States. So teaching your local community about Japan, um, fostering the next generation of jets through recruiting activities and those types of things. So Freeman Asia was uh, perhaps pre-jet. Yeah, it was kind of like a... <laughs> A, a, a preview of what was to come almost in terms of how to give back to your, your local home community, um, not just while you're abroad. Yeah. Megan, I have a question for you. Like you said that you've had this plan since like middle school and you were like dedicated to the idea of doing jet. How did your family perceive your um, notion of wanting to move to Japan and go do jet? Um, because I know like, I just want to take a measly little trip and my parents, you know, freak out. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? So <laughs> knowing, you know, how your family, you know, took the news that you wanted to do this. That's, it's a really good question. I'm super fortunate. My, my older brother um, actually studied abroad in Japan before I did. So he kind of paved the way for me. And then having that study abroad experience where you're, you're very supported by being with the university and the student housing and stuff like that it was a way to ease into it. Um, and then the JET program is also a really well-supported program as well. So there's a lot of support there for you. You're a Japanese government employee. It probably can't get much safer than that as far as that goes. But I also just was a really independent person growing up. So my mom learned sometime in the middle of my teenage years, like Megan's going to do what Megan wants to do <laughs> and we can't stop her. Um, now, I will say I also did spend a semester in China um, during study abroad as well. And that one, my parents kind of gave me strange looks, um, not quite as well supported, a little bit less of a, a well-known entity. Um, and they were a little bit worried about that one. Um, but again, that, that whole Megan's going to do what Megan wants to do comes into play. And they knew... They didn't want to stand in the way of me pursuing something that I was interested in pursuing. Was that, um, was, I'm trying to think, is, I want to say you did that in 2006, right? 2006 when you went to China for one semester? Or was it a full year? It was 2000, uh, the spring semester of 2007 um, okay. with the Beijing Center for a semester. And then I okay. came, came home for the summer and then immediately went back to Japan for a year. <laughs> yeah, because I remember you came back and then, me and then uh, a few friends were in Tokyo or in Japan already for Jet, and you were just getting to Sophia, and we met up once or twice for like to get a, a like dinner or lunch or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, I remember that. And then <laughs> the other thing I always think back to is like when we you were I was in Tokyo for the uh, the orientation Tokyo orientation for Jet um, to like kind of welcome some uh, some friends in and have it. We had a meet up with some other friends that were from other prefectures and whatnot, and I was walking away from the hotel. And then I saw you and I'm like, hey, Megan. And I just kept walking. I'm like, wait a second. What? <laughs> like, I didn't even know you were going to be there. And this is your Tokyo orientation. So it's like small world, like just like 
passing passing each other like wait bye what doug i think you and i have probably in the last 10 years spent more time together in japan than in new orleans <laughs> yeah i know right the, the <laughs> last time um I, i've only been back to japan once since my um my time on jet my husband and i went for our one-year wedding anniversary and uh doug and his wife also happened to be there at the same time <laughs> so we got together in japan for lunch which is absurd because you live less than five miles from me. <laughs> oh, I could see you at any point in time, and and we again would hang out more often in Japan than we did in in the states. It's crazy. <laughs> Y'all are Japan buddies. Yeah, it is really interesting though, because when you run in in a crowd, like the 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 group of people who are interested in Japan is a relatively small community, no matter where you are. Uh, so when I was there for. Uh, when I went to study abroad, as I was leaving study abroad, a friend of mine that went to, to university in St. Louis was coming on to study abroad. So you're always like passing this the same group of people and then, you know, a very similar group of people that a subset of study abroad types end up going on jet. So you have some people who knew each other from study abroad. Like it's a really interesting community. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So to get um forward with actually applying for jet um jet applications are pretty notorious for being like quite gruelly in the application process um which you know that'll be for a different episode of a podcast that we'll do on jet uh, we're gonna make jet like a series of podcast episodes but for this interview i want to know how did you feel through the interview process because <laughs> uh i've heard some stories <laughs> So the interesting thing in retrospect, and especially since I work in human resources now, um, and I, I support, um, from a technology perspective, our recruitment group. So I hang out with recruiters a lot, and I think about the recruitment process a lot as part of my day job. And the JET interview, I think, is so particularly scary for people Number one, because the JET program is notoriously um, selective. And number two, it's just the first job interview that anyone's ever been on. Like, I, I've actually participated as a, an interviewer with the JET program um, in the last few years. And it's really interesting recalling how nervous I was and how scared. And, you know, I had prepared ahead of time. And, you know, at the time, the internet was not quite the sensation that it is now. So I couldn't go on Reddit and like see other people's thoughts on their interviews and stuff. You kind of just had to guess what they were going to ask you and how you might answer. And maybe you had some other um, JET alumni who, who might share some of their experience with you. Um, but I do remember being scared. Um, and also the sudden nature of it too. Like you get like two weeks notice before the interviews start. You're in the middle of your senior year of college and you have to figure out how to get six hours away from where you are on the shoestring budget that you have as a college kid. The yeah. whole thing is just designed to be very stressful. Um, not on purpose, I just. Um, but looking at it now, from 10 years of experience, from multiple job interviews, from doing a job that is on the other side of that interview table. It's just your first job interview. Um, so just think of it, you know, everybody has to have a first job interview. It's not any, um, unless you're going for CIR in which there is a Japanese test, um, 
then it's not really any different than your standard job interview. So you'll you'll want to research job interview questions, the types of questions that are gen in general are asked at job interviews and how should you phrase your answers, making sure to bring up specific examples of times when you have exhibited this thing or participated with Japanese culture and those types of things. And just know that everybody else is just as nervous as you are. <laughs> so it's been really gratifying being on both ends of that interview table and having the opportunity to kind of think through that experience. Yeah, I, I remember mine and it was, I, I didn't know what to go in. And I was, again, like you said, super nervous because it was my first real job. You know, I had like part-time jobs and things like that where I didn't really care. You know, I cared enough because I needed that like side income or whatever, but this is my first job. Like, this is what I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing after college. And I was super nervous in that regard. Um, didn't know what to expect. And like you said, uh, they're super selective and you don't know what the criteria is. So you don't want to. And then you hear these rumors like, oh, don't tell me don't too much Japanese because that might be a negative against you versus, oh, you want to go in and say like you only know English. You know, you hear so much other crap that kind of is hard to sift through what's accurate, accurate. Um, and I just remember walking into my interview and I, I was fortunate the console was still in New Orleans when I interviewed. I'm dating myself here. Um, it was still in New Orleans. I think it moved the year you after. You must have been me. the last year because when I applied, it was in um, Nashville already. Yeah, I think we were the last set for the New Orleans consulate. And um, I walked into um, the the jet interview and there was three people. You have your long table where they're sitting behind and they have like a set, a chair, a single chair, like 30 feet away across the room. Yes. And uh, the person in the middle of the table was the professor that I worked for at Loyola. He was, so I walked in and I was like, oh my God, do I <laughs> pretend like I know him? Do I acknowledge the fact that I know him or do I just, you know, or like, do I just play it off and just pretend like I don't? And so I went to pretend like I don't around and said, nice to meet you, you know, bowing to everybody. And each one, I kind of caught his eye and I said, nice to meet you. And he just kind of like smirked. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he picked up on that. So I didn't really, and I don't think it ever came up in the interview that we had that kind of relationship, but it was really, they know. it made me extra nervous. <laughs> that, was, that made me extra nervous um, because I didn't know how to handle it. And I guess it was kind of like a, an additional like pressure put on me, but it, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely one of those things where y your anxiousness to get on jet probably makes you even more nervous than you would be in any other interview. Because you want something that I know a lot of people that go apply for Jet really want it really bad. Um, so that that's an added pressure on yourself. And then, like you said, the questions are are pretty straightforward. I mean, they'll ask you about your interest in Japan and things like that. But you know, I I've heard stories where it's like, give us a lesson plan on your on the spot lesson plan or something like that. I had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> one of those? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah like I, I I think mine was. Um, they they asked me like oh you're so you, if your school had a community like a like a America Day like how would you present your culture like what yeah. would you do I think that was like it's like a common question I feel like um, but yeah it's like things like that that I think nowadays there's like you said Reddit and I think there's a, a couple forums that YouTube, I used to frequent like all over the place yeah you can kind there's of so much resources it. now that that weren't there like ten years ago but so. you know to to kind of assuage the fear on that right like they're asking you 
how would you do this lesson plan? Mine was something along the lines of, you know, your your Japanese teacher of English comes into the teacher's room 10 minutes before class and tells you that he wants you to teach about an American holiday. What do you do? Right. Um, so mine was a little... I, I think I landed on Thanksgiving after like vacillating a few times. Like that was the one question that I remember because I was like, maybe Halloween, no Thanksgiving. And like, I kept like jumping between holidays. I'm like, Oh my God, I just like completely blew it. Um, but uh, you know, that that's basically just asking, can you do the job duties? Right. So your standard interview, non-jet, just any interview, they're going to ask you, you know, questions to determine, do you have the personality for this? Like, are you super flustered when someone asks you this question like I was, and I thought that's what sunk me? Or can yeah. you think on your feet and and be, you know, kind of laugh at yourself because you got caught up in it? Uh, can you uh, do the, the, the duties of this role? And then for Jet, there is an additional aspect of do you seem like you would thrive on the other side of the planet in this place that you may or may not have ever been before and you may or may not actually speak the language? Um, so there is one element that is a tiny bit different about um, the JET program. And that is, you know, they're trying to make sure, the JET program wants to make sure that you are going to thrive as an individual there um, and that you feel comfortable getting around, that you feel comfortable, that you can make friends and you can go shopping at the store and, and those types of things that lead to you having a satisfying life, not just being an employee that shows up to teach English, but having a really satisfying Japan experience as well. So those are, those are your main categories. And I know it's impossible for me to say, don't be nervous. Yeah. Um, but hopefully just saying, it's just your first job interview and everybody has a first job interview and everybody is equally scared for their first job interview. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and you did say one thing that brought something to my mind is I think one thing, if you do go into an interview and obviously it's too late now because all the acceptances and all that stuff have been mailed out, but like in the future, um, you know, emphasize the fact that if you have been independent, um, and have been able to live on your own, even if it's been in the US, like maybe you just moved across town or you got your own apartment or whatever. But showing that sign of independence really is something that is looked down, not looked down on, like looked favorably, favorably upon because you're going to have to do that to some extent while you're over there. You know, yeah. you, you'll have people that are your support network, but they're not going to do everything for you. Um, so you need to like kind of prove that you can be a individual that can function on their own in society by yourself. Every situation is different, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Depends yeah. on how Inaka you end up. That's, that's so true. <laughs> um, and we'll get to that later. So, um, you know, we were both accepted on JET. Um, but, you know, what really comes after that, it, it varies. Like you just said, every situation is different. It varies from person to person. Um, when you got your acceptance letter in the mail, like, what did you feel? Like, what was that? What was that moment like? Because I know my letter was, hey, you've been accepted, but that's it. It didn't tell you anything else. You didn't know where the hell you're going. You didn't know, like, what was next. You're like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what did you feel like? You know, like, I think it's going to come across a little bit arrogant, but because I had been planning for so long, it, it was partially just like, okay, cool. This step is, you know, check next step, get, you know, get placement. And the other half of me was just like, 
oh, thank God, because the sheer 23-year-old hubris, I did not apply for any other jobs. (laughs) I only applied for JET. So I am graduating college. I do not have a job, have not even tried to look for another job to this point. So I was so glad I got accepted because I had no plan B at that point. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I was the same way. I didn't... (laughs) I, we have like so many parallels, but like that is definitely another one. Where I just, I didn't have a backup plan at that point. <laughs> well, and you know, because the JET program application is so long and it takes so long between each of those pieces, it's almost impossible to try to apply for something else because yeah. you don't want to be in a situation where you go through all of this stress to get another job. And then three weeks later, I'm like, oh, got my uh, my acceptance letter, letter, peace out, I'm leaving. <laughs> Um, so you kind of have to hedge your bets and it is, that is fairly nerve wracking to be facing graduation, (laughs) maybe not knowing even whether you're accepted or not. So there was definitely a feeling of relief, but also for me, it was kind of like, great, life is progressing on the path I set forward for it. Well, on that note about, you know, getting your acceptance letter, um, after that, it, takes about a month or so to actually find out where you're getting placed. Um, So I want to know is what was your initial reaction to learning about your placement? (laughs) This one's fun. I'm pretty sure I was at my, my internship when I got the email with my placement and I legit cried. (laughs) (laughs) Like happy tears or, or sad tears? No, I, I had sad tears at my desk. <laughs> um, I was placed in Aomori, which absolutely no regrets whatsoever. Um, the, the preface to this story is that the JET application does ask you to list some preferences on where you would like to be placed. And my preferences basically amounted to, I don't really care as long as it's south of Tokyo because I don't do super well in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) So like one of those rumors is that you don't want to like, I don't, didn't have any medical diagnoses or anything like that, but I knew from growing up in St. Louis that I tended to get a little bit of seasonal affective disorder where when it's like snowy and cold and dark all the time, I just, you know, get the blues. But I didn't want to say anything about that because I didn't want them to be like, oh, this girl is mentally unstable. She can't go on jet. Um, So I'm like, anywhere south of Tokyo would be grand. I I frankly don't care. Um, And then they gave me Aomori, which is about as far north. It is literally (laughs) as far north as you can go on the main island without falling off. So... um, I cried just a little. It wasn't like, you know, a deal breaker or anything, but I was just like, why universe? Why have you thrown this curveball at me? And then I like gathered myself and I was like, it's cool. It's Japan. I'm going to Japan. Um, and then I Googled it because God only knows where Sotokohama town <laughs> Aomori is. <laughs> um, so I Googled it and it was literally as far north on the main island as you could go without falling off. Like legit the tip of the secret. <laughs> um, so it, it was a little sad, but you know, that was one of those moments where you, you find your strength and you're just, you find the positivity in the situation and truly like the most beautiful place I've ever been. And the people were so kind and I had such an amazing experience. So regardless of, you know, where you get placed and how much it may or may not align with your hopes, it's, it, 
it's going to be an amazing experience no matter what. So, you know, to people who are interested, definitely keep an open mind. Yeah. I wonder, is it, I, I heard rumors that like, depending on the, the prefectures that are, they request that come in, they ask for certain characteristics. They, they want a, an American or a British person or, you know, a, a female teacher versus a male teacher. And it's all based on previous experience that they've had with other jets. You know, if they had a good positive experience with a British person, maybe they're going to stay with the British people, you know, like it, it could be whatever. I've heard rumors like that, but I wonder if that goes for preferences too. Like do certain consulates get like, Hey, um, you know, cause there was actually another guy when I went on jet, he was placed in the same prefecture in the same city as me um, from the same consulate. So I, I was kind of curious, like maybe certain consulates are like kind of keyed into certain locations or, or things like that. You know, I um, I had actually heard from my supervisor, um, like my board of education supervisor while I was on jet, I had, had mentioned this thing to them. Um, and they were explaining like they have their own preferences as well. So my placement wanted a female because they felt it was less, you know, less threatening to the kids, right? They would be more comfortable coming up to a young female um, they wanted somebody who was single because the accommodations that they had were just a studio apartment. So it could not accommodate somebody that was bringing a spouse or, or children with them. Um, and somebody that spoke really good Japanese because they're super aware that they are the northernmost point <laughs> <laughs> on the Japanese archipelago. Um, total respect to my friends in Hokkaido. Um, I realized that there's a whole other island up there um, further north than me. But um so they have their list of preferences on what they're looking for. And I found it really interesting when I went back to Japan, it was uh, eight years after I had left JET, I ran ran into my uh, successor's successor's successor. Um, and I also went back and, and met with everybody from the Board of Education. And they said there's actually two JETs in that area now because because of situations like mine I only stayed for a year because it it was very lonely and also I get the blues in the winter as I already knew um so they they were thinking oh it's really lonely here so let's bring in two jets and then they'll have each other so Doug when you're saying like two people from the same consulate ended up in the same place it might have been you know them thinking like well maybe let's bring in people who already have some type of connection with one another and it can you know, help them feel comfortable. But yeah, I think their preferences end up a little higher on the list than our preferences. So like my skill set just matched with what this town needed. (laughs) Um, That's, that's how it ended up. You know, you you had mentioned your uh, like supervisor and going back and visiting them then, but you know, post, post getting this letter um, saying, this is where you're going to be placed. um, A lot of times they'll say, Hey, your, your supervisor or predecessor will reach out to you sometimes. Not always. I didn't have a predecessor. I actually, I was the first jet and the only jet that lived in my apartment because they consolidated, expanded really quickly. And then over the three years, they decided to contract for, I don't know, for what reasons, but um, they went from three jets to one or two in my area. Um, But uh, so I I didn't have a predecessor. And when I left, I had to get rid of everything. So it kind of sucked because I know sometimes you can just be like, oh, well, my successor can handle that. Um, but did you have a lot of inter- that happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have a lot of interaction with your predecessor or supervisor um, in the months leading up to your pre, like pre departure like orientation and whatnot? I was very lucky. My um, my predecessor did reach out to me and wrote me like a nice long email talking about the town, and she'd been there. Um, 
I want to say three years, maybe four or five years. I can't remember, but she had been there for a long time. So she wrote me a, like, a, like, a nice long email and we went back and forth a few times. And I did also hear from my supervisor as well in a much more like official capacity. My supervisor did not speak English. Um, so it was a little bit more stilted um, in that regard. But I did feel really well grounded. And I was actually extra, extra lucky um, because my successor was still there when I arrived. So my first night in Japan, I actually stayed with my successor, my my predecessor, excuse me, um, which was super comforting to me. Like <laughs> there's nothing quite as unnerving as that first night alone in a foreign country when you're yeah. just jet lagged and you're stuck with your own brain that's screaming at you like what have you done (laughs) where are we which that's a fun story um how long is it going to take to get internet oh my god (laughs) yes i uh i got a little bit of extra help with that because i i was dating somebody at the time who was back in the united states and my board of education were just shipping so hard for me and my boyfriend they're like we've got to get her internet immediately so she can talk to her boyfriend (laughs) it was really cute um yeah so my success my predecessor was great and i i did the same for my successor as well. Like I argued with my board of education, like I would, so the switch off in Aomori comes right at the same time as the Aomori Nebusa festival, which is their biggest festival, which if anybody ever has a chance to go, it's so much fun. And being from new Orleans, like, you know, really uh, warms the cockles in my heart. Um, (laughs) So I made the argument like, Hey, I want to stay for the festival anyway let me stay in the apartment and I'll spend the first night with my successor um, so that she'll feel comfortable. And then I can bring her with me to Nebuta and make sure that she gets home safely um, before I leave. So we worked it out that way. So I really enjoyed that handoff. And I think there was a little bit of extra comfort in there, um, which just what it was I was giggling at before is uh, the absolute horror of getting off of an airplane at an airport that only has two gates and you're just like, <laughs> what is this place? No. <laughs> um, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was also uh, like July 27th or so and it was maybe 63 degrees and cloudy outside. And I was like, uh, I, I remember looking at my supervisor and she looked at me and we did not know each other yet at this point. And she just told me, it's not always like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, if you have to say that, I feel like it is Day always one. like this. Not, I swear it's not always like this. <laughs> it's always a good baseline, right? <laughs> well, the, talking about, you know, being prepared for like your first like step into Japan, um, you know, I would imagine that there's a lot of prep locally before you, you know, you go for jet. Um, what were like, do they have anything for you to like do any prep work, like any like pre-departure orientations or meetups or anything to just kind of get your foot in the door, get you prepared? I don't know, something like that. So the consulates and or the alumni associations are generally responsible for putting on lever Q&A sessions or even just like a levers party. Um, So it really depends on the proximity to a consulate or to a super active jet group. Um, I honestly don't remember 
um, attending anything. I, I went out through Houston and I recall driving to Houston and spending the night at a, at a hotel with everybody else departing from Houston before that. Um, but because I was departing from Houston, none of the Q&A sessions and such were in my area. So I really didn't get to do a lot of that. Um, and just, you know, from my experience with the Jet Alumni As Association, um, our consulate um, is in Nashville, which is actually not at all in the region that we serve. So while we try to have like social, um, very casual social gatherings where people can come and just casually ask questions like this, we don't generally do anything formal for leavers in the New Orleans area. Um, we also generally just don't have a whole lot of them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I know of at least a couple who are leaving from the New Orleans area this year. So I'm sure we'll be looking to, to put on a little casual Q&A session. Um, the Nashville Consulate also does offer um, like programming in terms of uh, before their group fly out in the pre-COVID world, they would fly, they would have them come in a few days early and have a session, like all day session of finances and opening your bank account and getting your mobile phone and those types of things, um, which they did, they did online for our poor 2020 group who are still waiting to go on their jet adventure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what they're going to be looking to do this year with uh, 2021 departures still up in the air. Yeah, hopefully they can, um, you know, things can move a little bit more smoothly this year. Than, than last. Um, but I, I did want to ask a quick question to you about, we, we touched on earlier about Japanese language. Um, you know, all three of us here have studied Japanese um, and have studied abroad. So we have that exposure to knowing the language and then going to the country. Um, you know, for me, and obviously for you with, with you know, working with supervisor who didn't speak English and everything, how helpful is it knowing Japanese? And is it a prerequisite? Should you be kind of well-versed in Japanese before going on like a jet experience where you could potentially end up in Aomori, the very <laughs> northern tip of Honshu, where maybe not a lot of people speak English? Uh, extra funny story about that is uh, they speak Tsugaru Japanese, which is different. Not significantly different, but man, it took me about a month to pick up on the accent up there. Not your textbook stuff, huh? My supervisor <laughs> looked at me at one point and she goes, I thought you spoke Japanese. And I looked at her, I said, I thought you spoke Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> the women were, were easy to understand. The the older gentlemen, to the day I left, I still couldn't understand the kacho. But um, in general... <laughs> Which is fun. It's fun. I now proudly speak Japanese with an Aomori accent that I don't know what makes it different from regular Japanese. So I wear it as a badge of honor. <laughs> um, having Japanese obviously is super helpful. It is not a prerequisite. You can go on the JET program without any Japanese language experience. Um, generally, they will try to place you somewhere where you'll have more support if that's the case. So generally, people with no experience whatsoever are usually going to be in a city, maybe not the biggest city in the world, but a city where there are likely to be other English speakers or other jets um, or you know people in the school systems that speak enough English to help you out. Um, and they do have eventualities in place um, to give you support for that. So, for example, when they read me my contract, which can be very challenging um, Japanese for an English speaker, they actually got one of the uh, Japanese teachers of English from the local high school to come and 
um, explain it to me in English so that they could make sure I understood it. But I would say in general, if you are even able to get on like Duolingo or some like online Japanese thing, every word that you know makes your experience better. Um, so there's nothing wrong going over there having no language experience. If you're a really adventurous person, that may be part of the fun for you. It's just being completely in the dark and charadesing your way through it until you get it figured out. And, and that is a way to go over there. I'm obviously a very planful person. That would have been terrifying to me. Um, so I really took a lot of comfort from my language ability, knowing that I could get myself out of scrapes and stuff. Um, but I would encourage you, anytime I go to a country where I don't know the language, I at least try and get a few words here and there. I think that the local population really appreciate um, that you're showing interest in trying. Uh, it's a good conversation starter. They will stroke your ego immediately by telling you how darn Josu your Japanese is, even though you only know one word. <laughs> um, and you're setting yourself up uh, you know, to start learning, getting used to the cadence of the language and stuff. So there's so many online resources these days. Just do a couple months of Duolingo, even if you don't have the opportunity to learn the language. And I think that will make you feel even a little bit more comfortable when you get there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It, just a little bit. And, and you kind of mentioned this too. Um, you showing your trying in Japanese kind of conveys that message to your teachers and your students, um, which we're going to use as a segue to our next question um, about your JET experience in general. Um, you know, what level of education did you primarily teach? It sounded like you're teaching younger children. Um, you know, what, what ages, what grades, um, you know, and what was your favorite part about teaching English in a Japanese school in general? I love that segue. One of my favorite interactions that I had with a student was a middle schooler. who We were sitting at, at the lunch table eating lunch. He looks at me and goes, Megu-sensei, your Japanese is weird. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Makoto, your English is weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just, I'm up here trying my best. My Japanese is weird, but gosh darn it, you understand what I'm saying. And that's what we're, we're trying to do here, right? It's such an important lesson. Like, Megu-sensei is up here every day making a complete idiot out of herself <laughs> trying to speak Japanese. So you can make an idiot out of yourself trying to speak English and everything will be a-okay. He's trying to call you out. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I called him out. He was he was a, a little spitfire. I loved him. Um, I taught. I had three elementary school and three middle schools because um, okay. my my town was a conglomerated town. Um, so I taught in Sotokahamamachi, which was a combination of Minmaya, Kanita, and Tairadate towns, which is happening a lot in rural Japan. As their population shrinks, they just don't have the population or the tax base to support the town separately any longer. Um, so they merge together. So each town had their own elementary and middle school. And I would rotate once uh, once every week, uh, or rather I would spend, I think it was two days at the elementary school and three days at the middle school, and then rotate to the next town um, every week. So gosh, it was so much fun. Like the kids are so much fun. Mine were very well behaved. My schools were also really small. Um, the largest class that I like, and when I say class, I mean grade um, that I had was maybe 60 students. Oh, wow. And the smallest, like 
the biggest, the smallest school that I had was uh, Minmaya Middle School, and they only had like 34 students in the whole school. <laughs> so um, everybody, like all the kids were just delightful. And my town set the expectation, depending on your situation, the type of school that you're teaching in, um, they may tell you like, do not speak English with, the, or I'm sorry, do not speak Japanese with the students. You must speak English all the time, yada, yada. Mine was like, look, uh, these kids are going to be fishermen when they grow up. And uh, we just want them to have the experience of English as being fun and a way to interact with the world and a way to learn things and meet people. Um, so if the students, we want them to learn about you and your culture as well. So if the students want to speak to you in Japanese, then feel free to speak to them in Japanese. If they want to speak to you in English, please speak to them in English. Um, so I really got to interact with my students a lot. Um, and I made the choice, and I would encourage anyone who's considering JET to make the choice to actively ingrain yourself in your community. You can show up for school in the morning, teach your classes, and leave if that's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with that JET experience. I would show up early. I would help them clean the classrooms at lunchtime. I would stay after for, um, you know, uh, I can't think of the word in English, um, club activities. Um, I didn't have to do any of that. It's not part of your contract. Uh, but number one, I live on the edge of the world. What else am I going to do with my time? And number two, like my, I, I was devastated when I had to leave. Like I sobbed my eyes out to leave Jet um, because I had, had really become a part of my community and these kids and their parents, everybody was uh, so wonderful and welcoming to me that uh, it was very rewarding experience. Well, you mentioned that you did participate in some extracurricular activities at your school, and I'm sure because of where you were placed, you were more than happy to interact with your community as well. What sort of things did you do? Uh, good question. So because my schools were small, um, the activities that they offered to the kids were, were somewhat limited. You're usually playing baseball if you're a boy, basketball if you're a girl. One of my schools did have a music club where you could um, – they had a little band. Um, and I also found the Taiko group in my community. It was not school sponsored. It was just a community Taiko group, but I joined up. Like it just let people know, like I made a comment to my supervisor one day, like, do we have any Taiko here? I really like Taiko and I want to play. And like three days later, it was like, hey, I gave your name to the Taiko group and they want you to meet them here at this time. Um, we also, it was part of my job, but also an absolute delight, uh, did an Eikaiwa, uh, so like an adult English conversation class um, through the community centers in a couple of my towns. And that's so great because you get to meet all of the like gossipy old ladies that live in your town. <laughs> and they're so much fun. And then they would invite me to do things as well. Uh, so you kind of just spider out there by getting involved in all these activities. There's uh, festivals in the town or going to the kids. Um, they have like uh, the, what are they called? The sports days and stuff like that. Uh, some schools will require you to go. Some of my schools did not require me to go, but I would go anyway. The kids would get really excited to see me there. Again, I live on the edge of the world. I have nothing better to do today than watch <laughs> these kids play the world's cutest game of tug of war. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, those, um, I, the, the sports days, I actually went to a bunch of mine and my teacher's like, why are you here? Like, cause it was my visit school. So it wasn't my, my base school I had to go to. 
Um, but my visit schools are like, why are you here? And I'm like, oh, because it's, it's a school activity. He's like, yeah, but you know, if you're, if you're here on Saturday, then you don't have to work on Monday, but you're not coming here on Monday. So you have to work in another school. And they would always coordinate my schedule to like have it so that I was rotating to a different school on Monday. So there are a lot of teachers, they get, they work Saturday and get Monday off, but they're like, why would you do this? And I'm like, because like, I have, a, I don't have anything better to do on a Saturday and I get to experience this that, you know, I won't ever really get the experience again after this experience. You know, I just use experience like eight times in one sentence, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it, it's just uh, one of those opportunities you really, it's fun to not pass up on. I mean, I've, having done it for three years, I didn't go every year after that. Uh -oh. But in the beginning, I was like, yeah, let's go. Every school, let's go. I even like one of my mountain schools is like a, like a <laughs> 35, 40 minute car ride. So I had to take a taxi and I, I got a couple of their jets that went to that same school. They had a middle school and a uh, our junior high and an elementary school jet and they all went to the same school so we all just shared a cab there and then and went and this school is like it was it's in the mountains it, it was like it's like a lumber like a, like a lumber industry like town um and they had literally a school they only open the school up when they have kids to go and it was at th this point elementary school was like three kids Aww, <laughs> yeah, so so cute. my classes were like literally i'm like what do i do with two kids in a classroom like it's just like all right usually what would take up an hour took 10 minutes and i'm like all right i gotta get really creative and then we end up just going to play basketball so <laughs> <laughs> doug that that reminded me like one of my uh schools i had to take a train for about 45 minutes through the mountains i'm looking out the window at my train one day and i'm like what a weird looking rabbit like that's not a rabbit that's a monkey <laughs> <laughs> right right before i was leaving japan actually we were going to the board of education to like i don't know sign something or whatever and there was this truck that had two cages with monkeys in the back of it and i'm like where do i live there are monkeys in cages in front of the government building like what is this weird bizarro world did they just like happen to sneak in town they captured them like like we would capture like a possum or something in our backyard and like let it go by the canal or something you know yes uh they the, the monkeys had gotten like too close to somebody's field um so oh. the, the animal control caught them and they were going to release them back up in the mountains <laughs> the woes of northern oh, japan yeah. <laughs> so charming <laughs> so you know after you came back from chat you, you said you came back in 2010 um been very active very active in the uh jet alumni community um in new orleans but also nationally um in, across the u.s you participate in a lot of the um, national conventions and, and hosted webinars and whatnot um you know what has it been really easy to maintain that connection to like other jet participants or like just your jet experience after returning to the states or did you really have did you feel like you were going out of your way to really kind of make those connections happen so jet alumni association is my connection to japan these days which is why it's so important to me and why it's been relatively easy for me to keep up that level of activity uh, you know back to my ch challenging relationship with new orleans the reason we don't have a consulate anymore is because there's there's no japanese industry here there's very little japanese community here but this is home so if i wanted to to continue my relationship with Japan, I would need to leave New Orleans uh, in a professional capacity, right? Um, yeah. and, and that's not something that I wanted to do. So for me, pouring my love of Japan into the Jet Alumni Association is my way to continue uh, 
um, my relationship with Japan in general and also with my JET uh, program experience. And I, I feel very strongly, Doug, you started on the topic of study abroad earlier. Um, I've always been a huge advocate of study abroad, whether it's to Japan or anywhere. I believe that everybody should leave the 10 square miles where they were born um, as often as possible, but at least once in their lifetime. Um, so I feel really strongly about helping to foster the next generation of jets, helping people be aware that this program exists so that they can go on their journeys. And then you know, the jet mission is twofold. And we brought this up earlier. It's not just you going over there and sharing yourself with Japan, but it's sharing your Japan experience with your local community as well. So um, that's the mission of the Alumni Association is to keep the alumni to have a, a, an alumni community, because quite frankly, like no one else, no one wants to listen to my monkey stories anymore. <laughs> like every, all my friends have heard them. They're over it. Um, but other jets get it, right? You never yeah. quite, no, no one else quite gets your jet stories the way another jet does. So you want to continue to foster that community. Um, and then we also do activities to um, support the recruitment of new jets, uh, to teach our community about Japan who are not familiar with Japan at all. Uh, and those things are all really rewarding. So um, it, it's been a busy 10 years at the local level with Mid-South and, and Doug had alluded to the fact that I have been getting a bit active at the national level, not in any official capacity, but um, there are over 37,000 JET alumni in the United States alone. Ooh, that's um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And we have about 10 to 25 active JETs in, in the Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas region. So where are all of these people, right? Um, each jet's about 30, a little over 30 years old. Um, so we're really reaching this point where the alumni association is changing from this small siloed chapters that are functionally just social organizations to something that could be much larger and much more influential. A lot of jets go into diplomacy or politics or they're CEOs of companies that do business with Japan and, and stuff like that. Um, if the Jet Alumni Association were to um, continue nationalizing the way that we think, our voices could be so powerful to the dialogue between Japan and the United States, uh, which of course just lends to um, the Jet program being such an amazing program and, and can help to attract ever more amazing Jets to continue on that mission. Um, so it's, it's been really interesting for me from a personal perspective to keep Japan in my life, but also as I get more established in my career, it's really become interesting from a professional perspective as well to see how we can bring the organization to the next level and make it an even more attractive program than it already is. So for those of you that are considering JET, your journey is not over when you come back from Japan. Um, there is a community that is waiting here, and, and there are the alumni associations, but there are also communities all over the place. I'm in a jet fitness community on Facebook where, you know, it's just jets who like to run a whole bunch and talk about it, right? So it's it's a ready-made group of friends, which when you're coming back from the other side of the planet, um, you know, especially if you've been a longer-term jet, two, three, four, five years on uh, jet, then when you come back, you don't know anybody. So it's nice having that community waiting for you as well. Well, first of all, thank you for your dedication to 
to developing that network in the community locally. I speak from it personally, you know, having basically dumped the role of president on you. <laughs> back. I forget what year it was, but I started traveling a lot for work and I really couldn't commit like I had the first few years after I came back from JET and you were ready and eager to, to do that. And I was like, take it. But you've done an amazing job and really helping um, strengthen the bonds between the Japanese community locally, but also the consulate. I know that you've done a lot of like kind of inner, you know, kind of been the go between um, for a lot of things. So thank you a lot for, for all your contributions and help there. It's been really beneficial. I think to people who are applying for JET, like without contributions that you've done. Uh, and, you know, spreading that network and, and making information re more readily available than may have been, you know, that helps out a lot of, like Jennifer said earlier, uh, you know, one of her students got on, accepted into JET. And, yep. you know, those types of things, like locally, if kids aren't exposed at a younger age, they don't hear about JET, they don't know about JET, they may not apply. You know, if they're lucky enough to find the flyer at their university um, sitting around on the wall, then, you know, maybe they'll sit in on the info session. But otherwise, they don't know. I'm definitely excited that you all are, are doing this JET series for Japan Society. Um, you know, we have been tertiary partners with Japan Society on a number of projects over the years. Um, and I'm always love when we end up overlapping in that way. Um, and we've had JET sessions before. The thing about JET is like finding, finding a solid community of people who have the interest and in, in the knowledge in it is challenging and japan society is such a good place to spread that knowledge obviously you have people who are interested in japan they're looking for ways to get over there even if it doesn't apply to them they're there it might apply to their children or friends children or, or friends who you know are in a position to go over there so this relationship is really valuable between the jet alumni association and japan society um, and we do let our, our members know, too, that that first year um, of Japan Society membership is free after you come back from <laughs> JET. Um, not the first year after JET. It could be your first year at any point uh, if you join Japan Society. So I'm always glad for that partnership. And I'm s super glad that you guys invited me on today to talk a little bit about my experience and you know, get the get the little Jet Alumni Association departing <laughs> president chat in there as well. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for joining us and supplying us with all this information. Like Doug said, um, I have a student from the study abroad um, program at University of New Orleans who just got accepted for the 2021. And, you know, she was like so excited. She just had to let me know, had to let all of her classmates from the study abroad program know. And you know, that's when I just got the idea to, you know, we need to do an episode about getting accepted because, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that she was well taken care of. That yeah. is super exciting. And by the way, uh, JET Alumni Association is not only for alumni. We are happy to have uh, outgoing JETs join us as well. So um, to your student and any other uh, outgoing JETs, that you run into, let them know to check out the Alumni Association. We are, in addition to occasionally putting on JET recruitment specific events like a Leavers party, uh, we're, we're happy to have them join us anytime, whether it's to go out and grab a bite to eat, or you know, we were recently in the Sculpture Garden um, over this, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, um, we actually had two outgoing jets that uh, were able to come and join us and, and chat with some of us about our experiences. So we're always very open to that. Good. 
have to let her know. <laughs> awesome. What well, do you do? You have anything else you want to pitch or 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 throw out there, promote? Not quite yet. I wish I could say that we were finished planning our calendar for the year. Um, we're going to have a lot of amazing events, but none of them are official yet, so I can't say anything. <laughs> Where can they check if they want to find out? Uh, www.jetaamidsouth.com. So that is Jetta, um, J-E-T-A-A, midsouth.com, if you are interested in learning more about us. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today. It's been a, a pleasure talking about Japan with you, uh, talking about your experiences and everything that happens between the point of interview to 10 years after being president of JETA Alumni <laughs> Associations. So uh, it's, been, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Crew of Japan podcast. In today's episode, we look back on the emotional roller coaster that goes into the JET interview process and acceptance into the program, as well as maybe some of the anxiety that goes into the process of relocating to a foreign country as a whole, whether it's through the JET program or another program or employment or anything. Were you selected for the JET program this year or maybe even last year? We'd love to hear about your excitement and your placement feel free to reach out to us on our social media. We'd love to hear back. Drop us a comment on some of our posts. Tweet at us. Send us messages. We love fan interaction. So you know where to find us on our Instagram. It's at K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-A-P-A-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Crew Japan Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-A-P-A-N at Crew of Japan. You can also find us on Facebook, too. We are trying to build up our Facebook backing. Go give us a like on that page. Help us get our numbers up. We would love that so much. Thank you so much again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. I'm sure you have. Uh, and that's it for today. So we'll see you next time. Bye.